and welcome to the latest episode of the Jambase podcast. I'm Scott Bernstein, and Jambase is a partner of Osiris Media, the podcast network for music. This episode features my interview with Rising Appalachia's Leah Song. I recently spoke with Leah about the band's fantastic new album, Live from New Orleans at Preservation Hall, which is out now for download and on streaming services. Stay tuned for that interview after a few words about the sponsor of this episode. This episode is sponsored by Soundscape VR. Groundbreaking virtual reality platform Soundscape VR is enabling a new generation of live concerts, music experiences, and sound visualization. Proving that Soundscape VR is the most immersive, innovative, and creative music metaverse, VR concert performances are now available from jam scene favorites Goose and Pigeons playing ping pong. They join Soundscape VR artists, including improv rockers Umphreys McGee and Dopapod, Guns N' Roses guitar Slash, EDM favorite Grizz, multi-platinum selling rock band Evanescence, and others. Visit SoundscapeUniverse.com to learn more. Today's episode is the 150th installment of the Jam Bass Podcast. We're just about to celebrate the fifth anniversary of our program here, and can't thank you enough for listening. If you're picking up what we're laying down, please subscribe and leave a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We took last week off for the holiday and hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving filled with friends, family, and tasty food. Speaking of anniversaries, 25 years ago, Fish was smack dab in the middle of Fall Tour 1997. The 21-show run was arguably the best tour in Fish history, and we've been celebrating by resharing Jambase's Remembering Fish Fall Tour 1997 series of essays documenting the legendary run on the anniversary of each and every show. We've also compiled quotes from band members about the excursion, and both myself and my editing partner, Jambase's Andy Kahn, appeared on recent episodes of Osiris's Undermine podcast. The show's fourth season has also been celebrating Fish Fall Tour 1997. Alrighty, now let's get to my interview with Leah Song. Leah and her sister, Chloe Smith, front Rising Appalachia. The pair and their bandmates assembled in 2021 at New Orleans' famed Preservation Hall for a live stream played sans audience as the pandemic was raging. It really gave their fans a chance to connect even if it wasn't in person. The magical performance was captured for, as I discussed, the recently released Live from New Orleans at Preservation Hall album. I spoke with Leah about the LP, her long history with the Crescent City, guests who participated in the show, the set list, and much more, including news on how Rising Appalachia will move forward while the pregnant Chloe takes time to focus on being a mother for the first time. Let's hear my interview with Leah's song, which begins with The Taste of Silver, my favorite song from Live from New Orleans at Preservation Hall. Will I live the memory 
Scott Bernstein, and I'm pleased to welcome Leah Song of Rising Appalachia onto the Jambase podcast. When listeners hear this interview, a new Rising App Live album will have just been released live at Preservation Hall, which was recorded at the famed New Orleans venue. Leah, what's your personal history with New Orleans? Yeah, common question. Um, well, we're we're kind of bona fide Southerners for all intents and purposes, and uh, we didn't have a deep relationship with New Orleans growing up. We grew up in Atlanta and spent a lot of time in the in the deep uh, culture of the Appalachian South as well. Uh, but we went down to to New Orleans. We moved down there. Uh, and shortly after Hurricane Katrina had, had destroyed so much of that city, and we came down with an amazing, amazing group of educators and artists and teachers uh, for a very humble attempt at bringing some creative, rep, you know, respite to the city. And um, we thought we would stay for a few weeks, you know. And we were so incredibly captivated and inspired and touched by. The community, the culture, the commitment to music, the commitment to uplift, and also really realized very, very shortly after arriving in the city that to be musicians in New Orleans is a very, very different thing than to be musicians almost anywhere else in the world. And so the, the, the short end of the story is that we went from seven days to about seven years. We just didn't, we didn't leave. We we moved in, we slowly moved all of our things in, we brought all of our instruments down, we joined a lot of different organizations doing a lot of creative and physical rebuilding of the city. Uh, we picked up our instruments and we just really became students of the music and the culture and the spirit and the soul of New Orleans. And uh, it changed our lives and our, and our trajectory and our music forever. What led you, where did you go after New Orleans? What, what led to the end of that seven year period? Yeah, great. Also great question. I mean, I don't think we ever really meant to leave. I think the city has its own uh, pulse and its own kind of has its own way with you. Uh, And we were, we were really beginning to tour a lot uh, more internationally and, I had some health problems that were beginning to to come into place around that much touring and travel. And we felt like we really needed to be in a place that had more rest and more quiet and was a little closer to our family, which are still in Georgia. So, you know, we, 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 we sort of slowly began to just spend more time splitting time between New Orleans and and Southern Appalachia. And then slowly over time, I think the tour schedule just wore us out and we needed to have one singular home base. And so we've stayed a lot more kind of quiet and a lot more rural for the last few years, just I think to to catch our breath from being on the road so full time. Um, But I don't think that a day goes by where we don't really miss our incredible community down there where large amounts of our friends and and musical comrades still are and just really miss the city so we'll see how life turns us we didn't we didn't really mean to ever leave and we just kind of got pushed into another direction as it seems to be the way the world works sure i could totally 
understand, but it's nice that you got to to go back and you had this show uh, at such a special venue. What does Preservation Hall mean to you? Uh, Yeah, it's such a special venue. I mean, I think we spent dozens and dozens of hours just sitting on those stools and, and benches in the hall and listening to the music and and just we would often play and busk in the French Quarter. And then at the end of a shift, our own shift of our own playing, we'd go over to Prez Hall and just sit in on their matinee shows or whichever ones were a little less busy and became friends with a lot of the musicians in there and would bring all of our family members down and make sure they got to really sit in and, and hear that level of really authentic, really well-preserved jazz. I mean, to just have the spirit of that room and and to not have the interference of microphones and chords and a stage and all of that, you you just, you can immerse into the music in a way that we rarely get access to do anymore. And when was the, the show recorded? Was this a, a, a live stream? Is that my understanding? Yeah, well, we've been wanting to collaborate with Prez Hall for years. Um, We've done a couple of cool creative overlaps with them at the Lake Eden Arts Festival up in North Carolina, where they'll bring some of the Prez Hall musicians in. And then we've talked for for years and years about a more official collaboration, whether we co-build a, a project or or play the show in the hall. And then during the pandemic years, you know, we, we just said, hey, let's just... Let's just put something together. We we haven't been able to put anything together officially. So let's let's just try something in these years. And so yes, it was it was a live stream without an audience. Um, and we just wanted to have a way to be to begin the process of collaboration there. And so we came in to the hall and worked with a couple of the incredible local musicians and and just did a live stream for our for our fans to be able to kind of get to, to sense a bit of the spirit of the hall from that time in our in our last several years where no one was no one was in public spaces yet, uh, and it felt it felt really twofold, I think, for us to to be able to finally be creating a, an event there and also to know that even though it was a very different way, it was reaching a wider audience and giving them a sense of spirit uh, from the, just what's the devastation of the last several years, the isolation of the last several years as well. I mean, I've seen you guys live and so much of it is a spirit exchange with the audience. It, it must have been a, a, a weird feeling not to have that that live audience. I was. It's been a weird feeling for for all of us, I think, for the sure. last few years, just you, you can only get so much from a Zoom experience. But I will say, just even being able to be with our band again um, really began to to rebuild the fabric of of our own uh, creative integrity. And can you talk about the the guests that that joined you? Yeah, we had our um, a very dear friend, Aurora Neeland, who is one of New Orleans' most incredible female jazz players. She 
she probably plays in 26 or so bands, maybe more. You never know with Aurora. Uh, <laughs> she's an amazing accordion, clarinet, and, and saxophone player. And uh, she's, a, she's a dear friend. We, we had a singing ensemble down there that we started just for fun. And she was part of the singing ensemble. So we've, we've played together for years and, and are, are dear friends. And another amazing friend, Brendan, who was able to sit in with us, who is touring full-time with Prez Hall um, and is an MC and a singer, but also one of the most extraordinary jazz trumpet players you could possibly imagine. And he was super gracious and, and came in and introduced the show and sat in on several of the songs. He and Aurora also collaborated on a couple of songs and worked out some incredible horn lines for the music. So it just felt like we were able to really gather with our, with our friends again in, in a really special way. Even just rehearsing for the show was so fun. We came down and, and rented a little place not far from where we used to live and piled our whole band in and then did rehearsals with Brendan and Aurora and just feasted and gathered and made meals together and had bicycles and just stayed on foot and, and really returned to to the city and we hope to be doing more and more of that. When you, you, the, the show you hadn't played together in a, in a while and you, you have such a long history together and have made so much music. How did you decide what songs you would play? Yeah. Um, we have a really sweet rapport with our band who are just beloved parts of our, of our family and our creative work. And, we have all been playing together for many, 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 many years. And so building the idea around which songs we could really lean into more of that traditional New Orleans sound. We worked on a, on a song called Indigo Dance, which is a song Chloe and I wrote that really kind of references a lot of the dance cultures of New Orleans and has that kind of jazzy stand-up bass line. So that one felt really, really natural. Just a closer walk with B is really an old standard and a, and a traditional you hear a lot in New Orleans singing traditions. Resilient is, a, is an original composition. We, we have always wanted to bring that back into the fabric of performance just for the lyrical purpose of, of, its, of its words, just to remind us to stay, stay sturdy. Uh, we threw in an old waltz that my sister wrote down in New Orleans called Long Hall and brought in accordion and, and gave it a very New Orleans treatment in hopes that folks would waltz in their living rooms when they heard it. Um, and it just, it was fun to put the set together because some of the material is more contemporary work of ours and some of it is things that we either wrote when we were living there, wrote at the mouth of the Mississippi or learned uh, and studied in our time just immersing ourselves in, in New Orleans traditions. As a musicologist, I can only imagine what living in New Orleans for seven years brought, brought to you and the lessons that you learned. I mean, what a epicenter of, of a musical culture. It's an epicenter. I mean, truly we didn't know. I think so much of, of the world doesn't understand like 
that is music is royalty in New Orleans in a way that that we don't really get to access. Um, and the the heritage and the traditions and the influences from all around the world that have found their roots and their voice in in the essentially the gumbo pot of the city is it's a deep and joyful place of study and and place of ceremony and i i think that it's got a lot of lessons to teach the rest of the country you know around catharsis and and community and you you got to new orleans at at such a a, a painful time in in the city's uh-huh. history um, but as you say, there's so much joy in New Orleans music. And um, were, were you able to to bring some of that joy in, in those early days um, just to those who, who were having such a tough go? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's so important to to be humble in that part of our relationship with the city. You know, we came trying to make an offering of any sort. Uh, in 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 the spirit of of supporting the city and honestly we we mostly just were blown away and and we're students and we're learning ourselves at how resilient the city and the culture and the traditions are and how much we had to learn about you know really just the depth of 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 creativity and new orleans taught us so many things and being there in such a vulnerable time for the city also was was deeply powerful for us to witness and and kind of participate in and be a part of a rebuild that did not have a lot of structural support it it was really a soulful mission it was a soulful commitment by by communities and communities of folks who were not going to be broken you know they just really continued to believe in the need for music, but also the need for for street theater, and the need for catharsis, and the need to grieve in public, and and the jazz funerals, and and the second lines, and zydeco and Cajun dancing. I mean, you just witness down there that grief and joy and praise and sorrow are all hand in hand, and you can't really handle any of them without the catharsis of art. And I think we just owe a lot of our learning and our and our understanding of what we hope to create within our own music to to how they do things down there. And uh, I, I think it's gonna long outlive all of us, the spirit of New Orleans. That is for sure. And that's a beautiful thing. I, I love your take on St. James Infirmary. Um, mm-hmm. What about that song grabs you? Well, it's just such a great, uh, it's a great dance one, you know, and we both grew up with a lot of dancing in our lives and a lot of dancing in our families. So the tunes that have that kind of tambourine shake off, shake off what ails you just kind of dance party vibe is pretty fantastic. But, St. James Infirmary has so many different renditions. There's dirge versions, there's ballad versions, you know, there's there's jazz versions and then there's there's gospel versions. And I think it was a, a song that very naturally and very quickly found its 
its spirit with us and, and just became a place where we we could get ourselves dancing on stage and the audience could could really lean into my sister likes to say you know you get one more song to shake off what ails you yes. and that's that moment you know you gotta shake off what ails you Speaking of that, and how has getting back on the road been for you? Oh, it's been it's been wonderful. We we missed it. I think we forgot after being exhausted for so long. I think we all forgot that actually we really like our jobs. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to be said for for the blessing in in missing something that right. And you launched the slow music movement in, in 2015 um, for a number of reasons to bring sustainability to your touring practices. How has it been harder to reach the goals of, of the project that you started in the wake of the pandemic? That's a great question. Um, you know, the slow music movement, I think, is more of an ethos and it's sort of a broad reaching concept. and. Um, I do think that having a few very lean years in music uh, definitely put the pressure on all all working artists really to to just gig as hard as they could once once things turn back on. But uh, the the way that we hope the slow music movement concept to to grow is is sort of over a long arc of time, and it's it's more around conversations and bringing in more local community organizations, working a lot more with local food and local farmers. Um, and I do think it's, it's, um, it's going to be, it has been slower this year. We did an incredible run of projects with an organization called the Permaculture Action Network, where we were able to do sort of almost mini festivals alongside big shows and different cities across America where we would spend several days also working in urban farms and gardens and doing a lot of land repair and restoration. And it's not something that's been as easy to do now that we're trying to, to just get our creative touring ensemble back together. Uh, but we were able to tour by sailboat this year, which uh, is also a part of the slow music movement is just that a little part of our time and our effort and our energy is put towards alternative and radical touring. So we've done some walking tours. We've um, done some train tours and we were able to tour by sailboat this year of a seven day sail on one of the oldest and biggest uh, wooden boats in the country. So we, we did a big tour 
on up coastal Maine and kind of kicked off actually last year and this year we kicked off our touring season by sailboat. So there's um, definitely still the, the kind of ethos. And it's also a project that we hope other artists latch onto and, and utilize to mean whatever they need it to mean, just to help us as musicians have more of a conversation with the music industry about sustainability and, and energetic sustainability, not necessarily just going as hard as you possibly can for all the work that comes because it doesn't, doesn't give you a lot of long haul. So it's a, it's a concept that will never grow old. And I think we'll continue to find ways to, to root back into in different chapters. Now, this wasn't your first time on a, a sailboat tour. Uh, you, you've done it a couple of times. What, what stood out to you, memories from this time around that, that, uh, that, that made it stand out? Sure. Um, we have done a few sailboat tours, it's true. I would love that to become our legacy. Yes. <laughs> the, sail, the sailing folk band. Um, many things stand out. I mean, something about traveling six miles an hour. Again, this is a, an old wooden boat, triple masted. So you are in the, in the belly of just like this, this storied piece of, of old lumber. It was originally used um, for cargo and it was uh, just used along the, along the coast, Northeast coast. And Carried lumber, carried pumpkins, uh, carried ink. There are all kinds of stories about the history of the boat. Um, but we, I don't know how to really explain the feeling of traveling that slowly, especially as a working musician. You're, you're used to like piling into an airplane and trying to get to the gig and jet set and show up and roll in and play the show and pack out and sleep and get up and go to another state. So the ability to move at that pace, it really kind of rewires something I think in us uh, and just all acapella shows, just singing with the background of the wind and the sea and living and flexing just this much, much simpler way of life uh, that I think we all need to remember and, and touch on every now and then. What did the audience consist of? Were there people, were there fans that came on the sailboat with, with, with you and Chloe? Yeah, it, it's a very cool, small boat. I mean, each one's been different. Sometimes we've sailed by boat and it's just the band that's on the boat. And then we go to small island communities and play shows actually on the ground uh, for different, more rural island communities and and coastal communities. Uh, this time we actually did have some, uh, some fans on the boat and also some boat, some boat aficionados, some people that were just big lovers of this particular ship and its history. So it was a combination. It's a, it was a small crew, about 40 people and then a, about a 10 person crew. And there was a lot of jamming, just a lot of um, uh, our uh, our band members, a, a whole bunch of us are big lovers of traditional Appalachian and Irish music. So 
lot of just sitting around and woodshedding old fiddle tunes and and making sure we remembered sea shanties and ballads and then and then evenings we would do so most small uh, lounge style acoustic shows on the, on the boat once we would anchor a wonderful 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 way to travel it sounds incredible and something i hope to experience one day and sounds just a little (laughs) different than jam cruise (laughs) which i don't know if you're familiar (laughs) um i've seen the list of places where you've performed and it's 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 mind-blowing but are, are there parts of the world where you've yet to perform that are on your bucket list Portugal. We would love to do a run in Portugal. We would love to tour also in Japan uh, and sort of study some of the crafts and, and uh, tool and ceramic traditions of, of the Japanese culture. We have spoken for many, many, many years about doing a cultural exchange and a, and a study trip in coastal West Africa with uh, several of our Band members and teachers who are are, are band member Aruna Diara is from Burkina Faso, so he's been wanting to bring us to his home there. And um, Biko Cassini, who's our drummer, he spent many, many, many years studying a lot of the roots of the West African traditions. So that's been a place we've wanted to go in a way where we can really do a deep, a deep dive and a deep study. Um, and then I think. I think a lot of it is also repeat returning to the places that we love, which continues to grow and the, the list continues to grow. So um, the sailboat tours, those just seem to be their own entity. And we'd like to keep that one going, even if we're in different waters each year. Do you have one planned for the future? Um, we don't have one planned right now. Let's see. Maybe we could tour. We've talked about a Mediterranean uh, sailboat tour, which could be amazing. I can imagine that that would lend itself to an incredible experience, both musically and spiritually and um, and culturally. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. You last year you put out uh, the lost mystique of being in the know whoa, without any ad- advance notice. Um, <laughs> what what led to to that decision? Um, you know, it was sheer creative catharsis. We got together to for the first time we hadn't seen each other in a year, and it was the first time that we had seen each other as bandmates and as friends and as community members in the entire first year of the pandemic. And we got together for our first uh, live stream. We only did two over the whole pandemic. And uh, this was the first time that we had gotten together for a live stream. And and we, we did the live stream. It was wonderful. It felt so good to play music together. And then we said, just on a whim, you know, why don't we, why don't we hold the studio for a second day? We recorded in a music studio. Let's hold yeah. it for a second day. and in in um in North Carolina and and see what would happen if we just gave ourselves a, a day in the studio and and we had no expectations except to be creative in each other's presence and we mic'd everything up and we just basically did eight hours of 
of improvisational music and we round robined ideas and different people would start songs. We didn't use very much language, verbal language at all. We just played and played and played and played and played and followed, followed each other's whims. And, and then when we finished the day, we said, oh, that, that felt like it was pretty cool. But you never know. You might wake up in the next, next morning and listen back and think, ah, you know, it was not as good as it felt. Right. Um, but when we woke up the next day and we listened back over it, we really, really loved what came out of that process. And we felt like it was very true to form and very true to uh, what was the creative need at that time, you know, which, which was that we didn't know where we were going. And here was a body of work where we didn't know where we were going either. And that it felt like the right time to release an experimental album. And, and I think as, as band members, it's probably our favorite album, <laughs> although it's a little bit uh, less, it's just a little bit different. It's unique. It's that long meandering tunes. And it was really a wonderful experience. it for for that element of it and i think you know having you explain it and and the the, the genesis of it, it it really does make sense to have put it out by surprise and and just right. let letting people hear it and and with without doing the big press run and um so th- that makes you know yeah. after hearing it, it makes more sense was it in Asheville that you recorded we did we recorded okay. that at echo mountain mm-hmm Oh, what a wonderful an studio. Incredible place. And Josh Blake and all the people at IMAVL yeah. and it's an incredible scene they have there. It's awesome. Well, um, it's awesome. You know, it's 2023 is coming up. And recently I saw on your um, Instagram page um, that your sister is um, pregnant. And she uh, is. That must be so exciting. Is it the first child for either of you? It's our first family baby, first band baby, first baby of our community of friends, all shebang. <laughs> that, that's incredible. You must be so excited. Yeah, we're so excited. We really are. We, we're going to just have a third generation banjo player ready for action here. <laughs> and will it lead to a slower 2023? Uh, you know, it's a really, really great question, actually. Uh, we haven't publicly announced our plan yet, but we will be announcing quite soon that we have brought in an amazing, amazing woman, fiddle player, guitar player, and singer who is going to be Chloe's understudy and wow. who's going to come in and uh, sit in and play her parts and, and the the band will tour still at at mostly full capacity and we expect it to still be a pretty wonderful show and gives Chloe some time to stay home and not feel like this immense pressure 
to get back out as soon as she's able. Uh, and it gives the rest of us some time to lean into some creativity and, and still have a, a show that feels very live and very, and very true to the rising Appalachia story. And of course, it will be a little bit different that it's not Chloe's voice, but uh, it's our dear friend, Lily Henley, who's an amazing musician in her own right and an incredible scholar of traditional music and Irish music and folk music. Um, and we're really looking forward to, you know, seeing how that will, how that will have its own creative roots and, and give everybody the, the space to be expansive as they need. So uh, it's, it's, exci- it's an exciting second tier announcement. Absolutely. And it's beautiful that, that you're, you're giving Chloe that, that to, the, the, to taking the pressure off and, and then you guys will still get to, to be creative. That's a, a, a beautiful thing. And I look forward to um, hearing what the, the differences are as I'm, I'm sure it will um, be a, a beautiful thing. And um, that, and, and do you have much experience performing with Lily? Uh, yes, she's actually also small family. She is the wife of our fiddle and cello player. So she's been part of our community for many, many, many years. And it's it's as as natural a fit as you could possibly imagine. Incredible. Well, we look forward to um, seeing what, what the future holds and, and seeing um, what, what, what happens. And, um, Leah, thank you so much for, for taking the time to to talk. I'm, I'm really, um, live at preservation hall is captures such a, a, a fantastic moment in time for your, your band and, and has such great, great sound and, and really is infused with the music of the Crescent city. And, um, I'm, I'm excited for everyone to hear it. Uh, indeed. Thanks so much for telling the story and giving it some some good wings to fly with. So thanks for taking the time. episode 150 of the Jam Bays podcast. Thanks so much to Leah Song for taking the time to chat. Be sure to pick up Rising Appalachia's amazing new album live from New Orleans at Preservation Hall, wherever you get music, with 10% of all streaming proceeds to benefit Preservation Hall Foundation. Thanks to Jake Alexander for producing this episode, and to you for listening. If you haven't subscribed to the Jam Bays podcast on your favorite platform, 
What are you waiting for? Be well, everybody. Go see live music. <laughs>